Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Gulf Intelligence Daily Energy Markets live video podcast uh, on Friday, the 7th of April. Brent crude still hovering around 84 to 85, where it's been all week after the shock news of last weekend. We're going to discuss how great a shock it was. Uh, and I've got three real gurus here with me to discuss uh, what all that means. So let me introduce, uh, or, or rather welcome back, uh, Kate Durian, uh, contributing editor to Mies and non-resident fellow at the Arab Gulf States Institute in Washington. Hello, Kate. Hello. Uh, Mehmet Uchu, uh, I hope I've pronounced that uh, correctly, Mehmet, uh, who is the group CEO of, global Res of, of the Global Resources Partnership and chairman of the London Energy Club. Good morning. Uh, hello and welcome back. Uh, and finally, uh, old friend Daniel Ramat, uh, the senior energy security consultant based in Tehran. Hello, Dan. So, hello, Frank. We have, hello, everyone. We have a great mix of uh, energy ethnicity here today, I think. Um, but uh, I know that it's been the top subject on the Daily Energy Market podcast all week. But of course, it was the story in global oil markets as well. Uh, probably for the first half of this year. Uh, and it's the first chance that this panel has had to deliver a verdict on it. The shock cuts announcement, or shock or surprise, uh, whichever you prefer, uh, announced last weekend uh, by Saudi Arabia, led by Saudi Arabia, announced uh, by, by OPEC Plus uh, later. So, Kate, let me come to you first. Uh, 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 give me your, your considered reaction here. After the initial uh, uh, bump up, Crude markets have been relatively stable all week, haven't they? Hovering around, you know, what some people call the Goldilocks level, $85, $85 a barrel, uh, and showing no sign so far of the big spike upwards that some people had had, had predicted. Uh, so has the market just taken this in its stride? What do you think? I think it's, it's, it's crunching the numbers. When you look at OPEC plus production, um, even after they cut you know, their quotas by 2 million barrels a day. And there is a distinction. This cut is from actual production by those that have been producing a quota. So take out, say, 1.7 million because they were underproducing by that much, you know, below their targets. And you've got this cut by eight members. 500,000 barrels a day from Russia was already factored in. So it's not really such a huge cut. And when you consider that there's, you know, some Russian oil on water, uh, this is going to mop it up. So basically, it's, uh, you know, if you calculate the numbers, you're not going to come up with 1.66 million barrel a day cut. It's going to be a lot less. So the first half, I mean, it remains to be seen what happens in the second half. One would assume that um, Saudi Arabia and the few who have joined it uh, in, in making those cuts uh, knew what it's doing. They're not going to play Monopoly with their biggest source of revenue. You know, they, they must have seen, you know, read the TVs, you know, maybe Chinese TVs. So I think it's not as big a deal as, as you know, as, as initially thought. Right. Uh, but not, a big as, not as big a deal, uh, principally because it won't amount to 1.66 as, as, you know, the headline figure. It will probably turn out more around 800,000 or so, won't it? I think so. Yes. I mean, we haven't crunched the numbers completely, but if you if you take out the fact that, you know, several members are not going to be um, taking part in the cuts because they were underproducing anyway. So, yeah, it 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 makes for a much smaller cut than the headline number would suggest. And I think that's okay. why the market has had time to digest the numbers and yeah, say, hang on a second, that. this isn't. Yeah. 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 
uh, Mehmet, let me let me move to you uh, because and and staying on the same theme, uh, you know, some doubts about whether the uh, uh, the Russian uh, cuts announced over a month ago now, uh, five hundred thousand. Some doubts whether that's coming through, uh, and also uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, is already 130,000 uh, 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 barrels a day down on its current target. So, you, you know, that seems, seems to reinforce what, what, what Kate was saying uh, about the uh, uh, extent and durability of these cuts and hence the muted market reaction after the initial spike, it has stayed where it is. Uh, 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 what, what do you think? Well, this was a surprise decision, of course, to cut production. However, uh, it wasn't unexpected because anytime the price comes down $80, Saudi Arabia, other Gulf countries will definitely act. And Russia in that case, suffering under the sanctions, needing more foreign exchange earnings, wouldn't tolerate the price going down because there wasn't any expectation that the you know, Chinese demand will go up as expected uh, after the easing of COVID uh, restrictions. And also, we heard from the IMF that the global growth will come down significantly, about 3% for the Western world, developed countries, over the next five years, mm. except China and India, perhaps there, there's going to be more growth. So lower growth, lower prices, and so there was no other just, uh, option left for Saudi Arabia uh, and Russia and other <clears throat> OPEC countries to increase the, uh, to, uh, to reduce the level of production. Uh, mm. in order to maintain a steady flow of income from. It's not probably easy to meet this production uh, cut targets, but I think they will do everything possible for that. Plus, we had the uh, removal of 450,000 barrels of oil coming from Iraqi Kurdistan through Turkey. Yeah, we want and to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. This was also another you know, factor in which the... Uh, price spike started. Uh, and so they had to take some action, although this was shock or unexpected. I yeah. think everybody knows that whenever the price comes down below $80, there is going to be a reaction. Okay. Of course, Saudi Arabia says that it never uh, uh, thinks about the oil price when it uh, uh, you know, uh, reaches its uh, deliberations on oil and OPEC plus policy. Uh, the price, they say, is not a factor. It is balancing the markets. But I, th I think we all know the price, of course, is a factor, uh, even though they say that there is no break even now uh, in, in, in Saudi. Um, the finance minister came out with this statement a few weeks back saying we no longer look at a break even figure because uh, our, our economy is so diversified that we don't need to think of oil income, which, you know, it was quite a bold statement. But, um, Plus, I mean, you should also consider that there has been a trade diversion because of the sanctions. Now the Russian oil is flowing more and more to Asia Pacific at discounted prices. So there yeah. is need to make up this as well from the Russian point of view. Yeah, they are furious about price caps uh, and also worried that it might uh, be extended to uh, to them. You know, there is more talk about NOPEC legislation in America, isn't there? Um uh, 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 let me go to to uh, uh, Daniel Ramat um, uh, over there in Tehran. Uh, uh, hi, hi, Daniel. Uh, how does it look from your side of the of the Persian Gulf the, or, or the Arabian Gulf, whichever you want to call it? Uh, 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 did uh, did this take Iran by surprise? Iran, of course, is a member of OPEC, uh, uh, but I doubt it was involved in in, in these kind of uh, discussions last weekend, was it? What what what's what's the view from Tehran on this? <laughs> 
you know, at the moment, as you know, Iran, Iran's oil production and oil, our, our oil exports is significantly less than what it used to be before the sanctions. Iran used to export 2.3 million barrels of oil uh, before the Trump sanctions on Iran. And now the total Iranian oil and gas condensate exports is something about 1.2 million barrels per day. So uh, there is still a very huge gap between what Iran used to export and what is exporting right now. So Iran is not, is not going to participate in any production reduction. And of course, any, any such actions made by Saudi Arabia or the others, which could, which could increase the power, which could make the, make, make the markets warmer for Iranian oil is absolutely welcomed by Iranian national oil company. So I think Iran is very happy with that, but there are still many concerns. You know, huge amounts of Russian oil is going to China. Saudi Arabia has guaranteed supply of oil to China. And also China is the sole market for Iranian oil, sole real market for Iranian oil, because Iran is exporting some oil to Syria, Venezuela, elsewhere. But the, the Chinese, Chinese oil is the, is, is the sole place which money comes back to the country. So uh, despite the reduction of production and the increase of the prices, which makes Iran very happy, but, but still there are problems with Russian, Russian especially the, the Ural and the Western grades of oil, which are, because the Eastern grades used to be, used to be in China uh, even before the sanctions, even right. before the price cap, everything. So Iran is, 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 is very happy with that, but has its own concerns. Okay. Uh, let's 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 consider possible reactions for a moment, if if we can. Um, uh, uh, Mehmet, I know that you were looking at the European Energy Council uh, uh, meetings earlier in the week. Uh, is and um, I saw that as kind of a restatement of what is you know normal current policy uh, in light of the Ukraine war. Uh, but you thought it was something more than that and could be uh, a response to the OPEC plus cuts. Uh, tell us. Well, about two days ago, uh, the usual EU-US Energy Council met in Brussels. They had a long joint statement in which, if you read between the lines, they make it quite clear that they will continue their efforts to uh, enforce the sanctions against Russia. They will not allow any attempts to skirt the sanctions and through different mechanisms. And they also made it clear that in their statement afterwards, uh, that they will take actions to counter what OPEC plus is trying to do in terms of reducing uh, output and then destabilizing the energy markets. This is how they put it. Therefore, it looks that the on the EU-US side, if you can call them West, will be taking measures jointly to counter what OPEC plus is trying to do. And uh, so the measure of objective being that we I'm will... What, what you know? What can they do in a practical sense? Uh, if if that statement said that the U.S. was going to you know go all out, increasing shell production, uh, you know, and 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 really flooding the market with its own oil, then I would say that it had some teeth. But I can't really see what they can do to uh, uh, affect OPEC plus policy. Enforcing sanctions is one thing, uh, but. Uh, uh, they 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 would have to move to secondary sanctions, wouldn't they, to have any meaningful effect on this part of the world? Um, well, as we saw, I mean, sanctions have not worked as they planned. Hmm. Therefore, further sanctions, whatever it might be, 
will not have much credibility. However, the U.S. always used the strategic reserves. As you know, under the IEA emergency measures, you have 90 days of imports already uh, stocked as strategic reserves. And whenever there is any problem with the market supply on the supply side, IEA member countries led by U.S. and EU always release some uh, strategic reserves so that there is some additional oil in the market if there are cuts on the OPEC uh, plus side. I don't okay. know whether they will do this because I also know that the U.S. strategic reserves are at a lower level now. Uh, yeah, it's uh, a very low. They need yeah, to yeah. replenish it. So I think this might be just a rhetorical statement showing that they act in unison uh, against any attempts to uh, reduce the global oil production. Yeah, because yeah. it's also election time in the U.S. coming. There will be nominations. So they have to give some message to the public. On the other hand, also, let's not forget that U.S. is the number one producer of oil in the world. Yeah, can be. Yeah, yeah. exporter. Yeah, but also U.S. companies, U.S.-based multinationals you. are benefiting mm. from that. Uh, Thanks, Mohit. Uh, yeah. uh, Kate, let, let, let me ask you about this, because, uh, you know, th th there does seem to be anger in the West, in America in particular, simmering away about the OPEC plus cuts uh, since since last October, really. Uh, but, you know, how how real is it? Is, is it, as 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 Mehmet just said, rhetoric? Uh, you know, what 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 real sanction can they bring in? What about NOPEC, you know, which is again surfaced? Um, oh. Give us your thoughts. Sorry, I'm having to move because the internet in this room is uh, is acting up. So I didn't really hear the first part of your question, but it's okay. Because um, I think what... This is live TV, folks. My phone is talking to me. Yes, I'm, my, my sincere <laughs> apologies. But I, I, uh, I have to move to the room where the internet is because I still don't have a permanent place to live in in Dubai. So anyway, um, one point I wanted to make about what Mehmet said about the um, strategic reserves, the IEA, if you look at the fine print of um, the IEA's oil market report, they're basically saying countries don't really have to refill their reserves at this point because they don't want to tighten the market any further. So the 90-day rule isn't being applied uh, strictly by the A at the moment. So that's just one point. You know, this is me ex-IEA speaking. Um, so um, I think the... I think they're in a bind. You know, you impose sanctions or secondary sanctions. You've already got, as, as Mehmet said, you know, 400 plus thousand MIP that doesn't look like it's about to come on the market very soon from both Iraq and, and the Kurdistan region. The pipeline right. remains closed. What was surprising was that this cut was made while prices were actually on the way up. They weren't on the way down because after the initial panic over the banking crisis subsided, prices were on the way up again. So they were actually closer to 80 than they were to 70. Yeah, you're right. Um, and also the fact that it was done on a Sunday before the joint monitoring committee meeting had taken place on the Monday, uh, the fact that there were no leaks, so they meant to spring a surprise on the market, even though they had said, I mean, yeah. yes, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman had said, yes, the quotas are there to stay until the end of the year. Watch right. December, you know, watch us in December to see that. But he had also said, you know, we will tweak if necessary. And I think that's um, that's. But again, you know, all these predictions that the market's going to tighten in the second half remains to be seen. But you know, when you have inflationary pressure, this is going to stoke it because already, I think on this program a few days ago, somebody was saying California, gasoline prices are rising. Inflation is, you know, everybody's talking about rising food prices, et cetera. So I think it's a very delicate time. And the IMF now saying, you know, um, growth isn't going to be as robust. 
So and 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 next year as well. So yeah. um, it's 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 a rather precarious situation. But NOPEC, I think, you know, it's been talked about so much that I think it's you know it's an old chestnut. Whether yeah. it actually goes ahead or not is uh, you know. No, I, I can't really see it myself. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's uh, uh, change tack, uh, 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 Mehmet. Uh, there, there is a lot going on uh, in, in in the Caucasus, northern Iraq, uh, and 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 Turkey. Uh, uh, tell us the state of play, uh, 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 the latest on on Kurdish oil shipments. They were blocked after an international after a ruling by international arbitration authorities recently. Uh, 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 where are we now? What happens next? Well, this arbitration. Uh... The verdict against Turkey, which penalized Turkey for 1.4 billion dollars, and uh, after almost you know since 2014, this case was going on. Iraq asked for 30 billion dollars, and 1.4 for this reason is a peanut in this regard. And who's going to pay this? Turkey or KRG or jointly, or Iraq might withdraw also its claim perhaps as part of a package deal. So we have to see. However, as you say, Turkey. At the request of Iraq, stopped the exports for 450,000 barrels per day uh, through Jehan. And now both Erbil and Baghdad agreed on a tentative deal so that they can start, uh, they can resume exports. However, Turkey is stopping there because Turkey wants to be sure that the second phase of the arbitration which is from 2018-2023, another 1.5 billion perhaps, uh, will be perhaps renegotiated with Baghdad. So they want to be sure that there will be no further liabilities on Turkey. And also payment system is changing now from Health Bank to uh, Central Bank of Iraq. And SOMO will be in the picture according to new agreement. And all the oil executives of companies operating in KRG were in the meeting in Baghdad as well. So this seems to be a durable, sustainable deal. Okay, uh, so, so is, is, is oil flowing at the moment? For, no, uh, it's not flowing at the moment. Okay. Because they said that it can flow this week, but it hasn't happened yet. Okay. Because probably okay. Turkey has some reservations on the deal that they made in Baghdad. Okay. Uh, uh, Daniel, that, that has, has uh, uh, wider implications, doesn't it? Because uh, as you pointed out to me yesterday, uh, Israel gets an awful lot of its oil from Chehan, you know, from 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 of, of, uh, of, of, uh, Kurdish oil, which, which has been you know fairly good value so far, quite cheap, I believe. Uh, uh, what does Israel do without that oil? Where does it go? Uh, you know, there are two countries, actually, two uh, two two sources for for the uh, considered as sustainable sources of oil for Israel in the Middle East region. One of them. Used to be the uh, the Kurdistan region, the Iraqi Kurdistan, and the second one is the Azerbaijan Republic. Now, uh, Israelis have lost one of their major major sustainable, reliable source of crude oil, which was Kurdistan. As you know, uh, Baghdad does not recognize Israel, and and, uh, and and it would be very very hard for Baghdad to export oil to Israel because is going to bring a lot of pressure on the government. And I do not believe that Baghdad would agree with Kurdistan to resume exports of oil to Israel. So Israel needs to, to seek for another source of uh, sustainable uh, crude oil supplier, which this, I think, would, would, uh, would 
in impressively uh, threaten Israel's energy security. One of their choices would be importing more oil from Azerbaijan, but Azerbaijan has its own. Yeah, I think I think they're doing that, but but they have some technical problems because the Azerbaijani crude oil production has been decreasing during these all these years, and Azerbaijan has started to import crude oil from Turkmenistan and from Kazakhstan through the Caspian. But those those numbers are very limited due to due to limited infrastructure on the Caspian Sea for importing oil because Azerbaijan has always been an exporting oil country. So they have a lot of technical problems and I do not think in a, in a short time they would be able to uh, actually uh, uh, export that amount of oil which can offset the Kurdistan oil to Israel. Okay. Uh, uh, Maybe they need to import Russian ones. Sorry? Maybe they need to import Russian ones or okay. Kazakh oils which are coming through through the Caspian pipeline in Black Sea. Maybe okay. they need to do that. Right. Uh, uh, Dan, let me stay with you for a moment, for a, 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 a briefly, because um, uh, there were reports earlier this week of increasing tensions between Iran and Azerbaijan. You know, this is yet right. another uh, element in in this regional jigsaw, isn't it? Uh, how 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 serious is this? You know, can this take on a military uh, uh, shape? The, the situation is very complicated, very very complicated. Because Iran has something about 15 to 18 million Turkish population, Azerbaijani population here. And this, this population have sympathy with the Azerbaijan Republic. But, but the, 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 big, the big game here, which is going on, which is going to link Turkey to Azerbaijan through the, the Zangazur corridor, would somehow put Iran aside of every geopolitical game which at the end of the day would reduce Iran's cards in, in negotiating with China because, because the, the, the big game is to get connected, get Turkey connected to China and establish another corridor, which is called the Middle Corridor, which is going to be replaced by the Iran Corridor as a part of the One Road Belt Initiative. So Iran, the, the, the situation is very complicated. But as you know, the establishments like Iran their main priority, just like Islamic Republic of Iran, the main priority of the whole establishment is security. Economy, blah, blah, are the, are the second, second or the next priorities. So Iran would consider its own security and geopolitical affairs as its first priority, and they're going to counter Azerbaijan's decision to, to somehow conquer and, and make a passage in the, the southern parts of Armenia. Right. But, but I'm not sure whether this is going to this is going to result in a in a military, let's say, war or something like that. There is a lot of doubt about it. I think Azerbaijan is considering, knows, Mr. Aliyev knows, that there would be a limited time, one decade or so, to change the whole country's economy, economic figure. They they they're not going to be able to remain a uh, a major energy exporter because the energy transition is going on in Europe and the gas, the cost of exporting natural gas to Europe is very high because the pipeline from Baku to Tbilisi to Turkey and then, then to, through the, uh, to, to, to South Europe is very high. So they need to make a fundamental change okay. in their economy. Okay. I think Mr. Aliyev wants to make its country into uh, so it's, its economy into a, a transportation economy to become a part of the ring of the logistics, whole yeah, kind of yeah, logistics, logistics 
Right. Let, so let's, I think let, let, let's not decision. get too much in 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 detail on on the Azerbaijan economy. But uh, 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 but Kate, you know this part of the world well uh, too, don't you? Uh, 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 just give me an overview of all this, you know, this big energy jigsaw that we have there in the, in the, in in the Caucasus. Uh, what do you think? Um, well, I don't really know the area very well, but I do know that there's also an Israeli element there, isn't there? I mean, yeah. It's, uh, Azerbaijan-Israel, that, that, uh, Azerbaijan, which has really, you know, rattled um, Iran. Um, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, you've got Iran moving, um, you know, establishing a, an embassy in the UAE, uh, you know, diplomatic ties with um, Saudi Arabia, established with Saudi Arabia. So I think that's quite an interesting dynamic. So you're getting a shift in the geopolitics. China is obviously a big part of it because it's underwriting this, um, you know, this re-establishment of relations. Of course, it's going to lessen tensions in some parts of the Middle East, you know, maybe find a resolution in Yemen, you know, no more threat of attacks against Saudi Arabian energy infrastructure. Um, And I don't know what the quid pro quo is going to be, but I think, you know, a few weeks ago, we were speaking on this same channel and, and somebody was saying, oh, the Chinese don't care so long as the oil from the Middle East is flowing. But I think that's changing. I think China's becoming more of a foreign policy player, you know, more of a diplomatic player. Um, and hey, so let, you know, let, 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 yeah. let me stop you there, because uh, I think you must have read my script. Uh, <laughs> uh, because now I, 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 I would like to talk about that uh, subject, the Saudi-Iran uh, rapprochement and China's influence. Uh, so, and so here is the, uh, the, the survey question this week. Uh, the rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Iran could be a game changer in Middle East politics that will lead to a period of peace, prosperity and unity. Or, given the long-standing animosity between the two, it could all fall apart with the first Houthi drone. So is it, single choice here please, one, a permanent peace between the two biggest players in the Middle East, uh, and indeed the two biggest players in Islam, uh, and or two, uh, a fragile rapprochement that will crumble at the first sign of tension. Uh, so vote on that, please. Um, I wish we had another choice. Uh, what would the other choice be? Mm-hmm. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> yeah. What would it be? Uh, the, I, th- I think the fundamentals of Iran-Saudi Arabia relations has not changed. But the, but but they both have, are considering China as a major ally and what they and the one they need to work with. So as long as China wants this peace, this is going to continue. So I think the China. I've lost you, uh, Daniel. Uh-huh. I, I, yes. Yeah, have, have, have we all lost him? Yes, yeah, I think I we think lost so. him. Shame. I okay. thought I was getting uh, lost. Come back. Um, <laughs> Let me substitute him. Internet problems <laughs> in Tehran must be considerable. Uh, 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 Mehmet, uh, uh, let me ask you about that. China, um, Saudi, Iran, is, is, is this peace in our lifetime or, I, or, or is it fragile? Well, I think it's fragile. Uh, and it's also, you have to see the jigsaw, as you said, geopolitical jigsaw. On the one hand, you have the Abraham Accords by which Israelis engage in quite heavily with the Gulf countries and other Middle Eastern countries. Then Iran is bringing to the picture, uh, China is bringing Iran to the picture uh, at a time when the US influence in the region is at the lowest ebb. Therefore, mm. there, there isn't much trust in the US in terms of security provision. 
And then trade is also is moving in the direction of China and India. Therefore, I think if these trends continue, trade, investment, and geopolitical shift, I think there will be less room for the West to wield influence in the region. So Iran has to be brought in the picture. But on the other hand, you have Israel, of course, uh, in uh, uh, Azerbaijan, which is an important factor for the tensions between Tehran and Baku. I don't think it will turn into any military conflict because Turkey is always behind Azerbaijan in a strong way. Israel is there. That's one of the reasons why Iran is so disturbed, some sort of containment they feel. And then Turkey is also building, we didn't mention that, from Basra to Turkey, what uh, sort of a Turkish Belt and Road Initiative with Iraq. There's going to be highway, uh, railways, and pipelines passing through. So it's going to connect Basra to to Turkey. Therefore, I think this peace between Iran and Saudi Arabia could be sustainable for some time, but at a serious harm, as you say in your question, whether a Houthi attack, drone attack, could destabilize it, or there could be some intelligence work trying to destabilize this relationship. So it's a fragile one. We have to see whether it will be lasting. Kate, Kate, yeah. uh, uh, let me get your opinion. Uh, is, it, is, is it here forever or uh, fragile? Um, I don't think it's here forever. And again, don't forget that who is actually in charge of this sort of expansionist policy of interference in, 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 in the affairs of other countries? It's the um, IRGC in Iran, you know, and even in Iran, you don't see a coherent policy. So, um, you know, the, the, are they going to stop their involvement in Syria? Are they going to stop their support for Hamas, for Hezbollah in Lebanon? I think that's still going to create a lot of tensions. I don't think it's going to go away because it's one of the few cards that Iran has, you know, being isolated by sanctions. So I think it's it may be in everybody's interest at the moment to mm. have this detente, uh, whether it's a lasting peace, again, underwritten by China, but how much is China going to push to, you know, they've yeah. got so many other balls in the air that they're juggling at the moment. Yeah, as you say, uh, Syria, Hezbollah, etc. Uh, and also, uh, I think what happens in Yemen next is also uh, pretty key to all this. Uh, so uh, here, here's the result. Uh, uh, most people think a big majority think that it's uh, it will not last forever, and uh, I think that's probably the correct view. Uh, well, look, thank you all very much. I'm sorry we lost uh, uh, Daniel Ramatz, it seems, uh, from Tehran. I would imagine the uh, the problems of uh, uh, internet connections in Tehran must be quite considerable, uh, uh, but that's a shame. Uh, uh, but nonetheless, thank you, Daniel, for your contribution that was truncated. Ah, here he is. He's back. Yeah, my, my apologies. Yeah, you know, okay. since I need to use VPN getting connected to to the podcast, so uh, okay, I lost we, my connection. You were wondering Sorry. what happened to you. I, I, I was just wrapping up, but I'll give you one minute, if, if you would, to uh, 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 to give us your view on the Saudi-Iran uh, rapprochement. How how permanent is it? One minute, please, Daniel. I, I think, as I said, it, this, that there is no there is no fundamental change in the 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 Iranian Saudi Arabian relations. That the only factor which which is recently added to the equations is the presence of China and their will to maintain security energy security in the region. So I think as long as Chinese want this energy security to be here, Iran and Saudi Arabia will be forced to do so. And I think the push on the Iranian side is more in the Saudi side. But there is another factor I'm considering that Saudi Arabia is using its relations with China as a leverage on the U.S. administration. So if the if the, the Republican 
the Republicans come to the come to the White House again, everything would be changed because Saudi would have the upper hand in the situation. So, so this is not this. I, I cannot call it fragile, but but it's not going to be permanent. Okay, okay, that seems to be the general view. Uh, massive majority saying that it won't last. Uh, well, we've run out of time. Uh, so uh, uh, thank you, the three of you, Mehmet, Daniel, Kate. Uh, all, always a great pleasure as ever to see you all. Uh, thank you very much. I'm sure next week will be uh, just as exciting as the one just gone. Uh, hope to see you next week. Thank you all very much. Goodbye.